Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. Nam, you just got back from a trip. Yes, I was in Ottawa and Kingston, and OMG, Ottawa was good. <laughs> C'est très froid. Uh, apologizing for my franglais. But um, I'm working on a new project for TVO, which will be coming out in the next few weeks, so look out for that. You're not leaving me, are you? I'm not together okay. forever. We're going to be <laughs> and never we part. Sorry. I'm really sorry, especially people who are listening with their ear, earbuds on. I don't sing very well. Anyway, so Colin, we're here <laughs> to talk about some documentaries. And today we're actually talking about not one, but two documentaries, right? That's true. We are talking about the documentaries With Wonder and Emergence Out of the Shadows with directors Sharon Lewis and Vinay Giridhar. Love that moment where I felt I was able to connect with God. How could it be Christ-like that you be suicidal because of something that you have no control over? I still had faith, but it's not faith in church. And when I let go of wanting to be different, I came to know myself, which made me a, a person of faith in a way that I would have never have suspected. And this was the beginning of my journey to reconcile my faith and my sexuality. So, Nam, you spoke with Sharon and Vinay during the Real World Film Festival in a panel to discuss uh, the intersections between queerness, religion, and culture. So, I'm just wondering if you could talk a bit about what stood out for you in that discussion. Um, I realized that uh, it's a really complicated uh, conversation to have um, because what stood out for me was how important religion was to the people profiled in those documentaries. But yet um, we as a society seem to suggest that it's easy for them to separate that part of themselves or to leave those spaces if they're not welcomed because they're a queer. Um, I think religion means so much to uh, so many different things to people. It means community, identity, and belonging. And if you're forced to leave because you're not accepted, you're leaving a huge part of yourself. So it kind of made me very, very sad. Yeah, that was sort of my takeaway as well. And in my discussion with Sharon and Vinay, we get into all that and the importance of representation in media, especially for people who want to come out to their families but the families might not really be equipped to have those conversations yet. So let's get into it. This is my conversation with Sharon Lewis and Vinay Giridhar. Sharon Lewis and Vinay Giridhar, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you. Thank you for having us. Well, I want to talk about your films, With Wonder and Emergence Out of the Shadow. And Sharon, I'll go to you first. Your film is With Wonder. Um, Could you just talk a bit about what brought you to this subject in the first place? Yeah, I was finishing up a documentary called Disruptor Conductor for the CBC, which was about the first openly gay Black music conductor in Canada. And he's talking about conversion therapy and his relationship to the church. And and I thought, I can't believe conversion therapy is still going on in Canada. So I started looking into it more and I decided I was going to do a documentary on conversion therapy. That led me to meet Maurice Tomlinson, who was in Jamaica, who was putting on the first uh, Pride March in Montego Bay, Jamaica. 
And that felt much more prescient and much more urgent to cover than conversion therapy. And it also made sense to me that conversion therapy in the way that it's constructed from Hollywood and the way that we read it and read about it in the mainstream media, it's a very white gay male um, version of what conversion therapy is. And when I interviewed people of color and people in rural Jamaica, conversion therapy looked different. So the documentary still uh, encompasses conversion therapy, but I didn't call it that because when you use that label, it conjures up images of, you know, Hollywood films that deal with conversion therapy. Well, we'll come back to Jamaica and, and conversion therapy in a bit, but Vinay, maybe I should ask you, uh, emergent side of the shadows, why did you want to make the stock? Uh, we wanted to make this film because um, there was not much representation of uh, queer South Asians in the, uh, on the mainstream media and even in the regular media because uh, people don't really know their stories. And uh, I was uh, volunteering and working with this organization called Share Vancouver. Uh, the pro- and the producer of the film is Alex Senga, the founder of the organization. And then uh, we have a lot of uh, very successful members uh, who were willing to share their stories for this film. And uh, we thought it's it's a golden opportunity because we, like queer South Asians, they, they really don't have a, a good role models to model after. And it's important for um, good role models to be formed because uh, if you don't have somebody that represents you on the screen and the in the media that you see, um, it, 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 it is very, um, it, it is not very good for um, a person who's growing up uh, gay or LGBTQ. So, uh, so this, I think we wanted to create more role models. That's why we created this film. And Colin, can I just jump in? I just want to say being black and South Asian, Emergence Out of the Shadows blew my mind because mm. to see South Asian parents loving their queer South Asian kids is is radical and revolutionary. Like, Vinay, that really, really hit me. It really hit me. I want all my family to see it, you know, <laughs> because uh, it's it's radical to see that. It's much different than when you see um, stories about white families and white parents, because also queerness in the Caribbean community anyway, is seen as a white thing. Hmm. Well, you actually took me where I wanted to go next, Sharon, because I, I think in both films, you know, we see moments of acceptance, but we also see moments of rejection of uh, from families whose children come out as LGBTQ. And I wonder why, maybe Sharon, you can uh, answer this first. Why was it important to kind of go, I guess, show both sides of that equation? Well, I think the rejection portion um, shows the reality of the situation of BIPOC folks and BIPOC queer folks who are, are going through that struggle. But it was very important to me to not make a trauma doc which was all trauma, which is usually what gets focused on um, and not see the surviving and the love and the commitment and community and companionship that also happens when you go through a struggle and you reach out to people. And uh, that, yeah, I wanted, I wanted this doc to be for us so that when we watched it, we could feel hope. How about you, Vinay? I agree with Sharon on this one. Um, because the fear of rejection is a very real thing. Like when it comes to when I interviewed a lot of people, I asked a lot of questions to to other queer South Asian members, and everybody had the same thing. Like they have the fear of rejection, 
and then uh, south asian families uh, being very collective and people live in extended families and they all think about what other people think about you more than you think about yourself and uh, there is that upkeep of like how you want to present yourself in uh, society so uh, it it was uh, it was for that reason um like sharon said rejection is more like the reality of the situation more people are uh, scared of coming out because of this so we wanted to show that it is possible to live a, a hopeful uh, joyful life um, in a, in a, in, a, in in any situation so this is why we wanted to show redemption and hope and something positive that to look forward to yeah but i want to stay with you for a second cuz i think you know that reality that you're talking about involves expectations right like the parents having certain expectations of their kids and maybe their their kids not living up to those expectations can you just talk a bit about what 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 it is what is it is that the the parents i think expect of their children in your film well any uh, parents um they all have their own imagination how their child would be right like when they are growing up oh my child would be like this or like that so they have uh, they tend to project their own um uh desires onto their children uh so when when it comes to the parents like i mean the, the, there are a lot of expectations to get married and get a get a nice uh job um in a or get choose a career that is like societally like acceptable uh, maybe being a doctor or a brain surgeon or something like you you need to be in that category like otherwise uh, people don't think of you as like a smart enough or or your family is good enough for other people to be mingling so it's just a status thing i think so um so for family uh, uh, to keep their societal st- uh, standing they want to pressure their children to to perform in a certain way in their lives this is why the expectations part is very um uh it's it's a very uh, damaging for a lot of people for a lot of kids growing up and uh, slowly it's changing i think it's slowly changing and people are getting more open and uh, accepting of the new realities and new possibilities in life so uh i think i'm i'm hopeful for the future sharon sharon what about in your film i mean that idea of status you know like presenting uh, i guess a, a certain front to uh the community uh, how much of that plays a role in in some of the characters in your film's lives well i think um it's it's a matter of survival you mm. know for some of the characters in with wonder it's not a choice to come out or not come out it's a it's a choice of survival whether or not you'll get killed whether or not you'll be um excommunicated from your community and when you're living in a small village and the local priest is sort of the hub of that community being separated from that priest means you're being separated from your entire support system. So, I think the stakes are extremely high. Also, if you're an immigrant to this country, you know, status, we get judged doubly hard. We get judged for coming here, taking jobs. You know, whenever the economy is bad, we get judged in that way and we get targeted. So, you try to be the super immigrant, you know, the super great immigrant, work really hard, work harder than anybody else, marry, get a house, fit in. So, imagine all of that pressure to assimilate and then, you know, you're trying to come out and be queer. Yeah. Well, you brought up Maurice Tomlinson earlier. He's a, a Jamaican uh, man. He's gay. And you also talked about conversion therapy and how it kind of operates differently in Jamaica. Could you just talk a little bit about Maurice's story and I guess kind of how homophobia ex- operates in, in Jamaica? 
Well, I think homophobia operates in Jamaica like it does anywhere else, where it stigmatizes queer people and tries to make them less human. Um, I don't think, I think the difference in Jamaica is, as I spoke about, depending on where you exist, if you're in a rural community, in a small community, and you're not getting that support. It happens here in Ontario, Canada. It happens in small towns in Ontario as well. Um, but I think because we have a colonial history, we also have the the um, baggage of colonial history, which means there's an anti-sodomy law on the books in Jamaica from 1867, I think. So we've also inherited this huge, huge colonial homophobic uh, instruments that still exist in Jamaica that in Canada, we have been able to, to fight against. And Jamaica has to fight against years of colonialism to do that. So homophobia is still very much instituted in the churches and in the legal system because of a, of a long, long and tortuous colonial occupation of Jamaica. Yeah, I, I, stay with that for a second, because I think, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, Maurice has chosen to fight against those laws. Um, and in Canada, you know, like you mentioned, you know, we, we ha I have fought against those laws and we've uh, seen same-sex marriage legalized. We have international pride parades all over the country. Um, but it seems like, why, why does it seem though that in, maybe in Jamaica and in Nigeria as well as another country that you visited, there's this, the intensity of it is, I think, a little bit more, I guess, a little more pronounced. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's an interesting question because I think part of that is uh, systematic racism in how our countries are portrayed as more homophobic, more backward, more um, dangerous than Western countries. Because if you look statistically at the number of deaths that happen to queer people in Western countries, it's quite high, especially trans and trans of color. So that's partly it. It's a lopsided view and it's an easy view to look at countries that um, like Nigeria and Jamaica as being more homophobic. Um, and so part of that is, is racist media. And part of it is a lack of resources to fight against colonial institutions that have been there for years. So Canada has had independence, but really conversion therapy was just addressed in the last five years in Canada. In terms of the way it affects people in Canada, indigenous and, and people of color are affected quite differently than other white gay male communities. So again, it's, it's, a, it's an idea of the way that you look at it. My goodness, it's so intense. It's so hard for people in Nigeria and India. And, um, and the same thing is happening here in Canada for people of color. It's just that the media skews it in a particular way. Now, with that said, a lack of resources exacerbates any situation that you're in. And if the church holds a very, very strong hold in that community and the church is homophobic, that will exacerbate the situation you're in. In many, in many parts of Canada, especially in larger cities, it's a secular city. It's a secular run city. In small towns, you're gonna to find the same dynamics or very similar dynamics when a church is, is taken a stronghold of that community, which is why all of the, um, the stuff that happened with the Catholic church or with residential schools happened in Canada. You know, it's because in those communities that that was that was run by a particular organization. Vinaya, I should bring you in here. I don't know if you have, have any comments, if you want to add to anything uh, Sharon just said. I totally agree with Sharon on this one. Um, there is always this Western view of the Eastern world, uh, like how uh, the Eastern world is more um, 
backward or like not not as forward thinking in many aspects uh but in india like things are changing i think um uh, there are pride prayers happening everywhere but even but as uh, sharon uh, mentioned i see a parallel uh, within my, our own communities because i personally don't know many uh gay or queer uh people with in my own towns and cities like you don't see them uh, but when you go to the cities you see more of them over there uh not in the local small towns so it i think it's happening everywhere it's the same way um yeah uh, but uh but there is also that concept of the religious aspect like in emergence for example uh, a lot of the eastern religions they don't mention um being gay or having gay sex as a sin there is no written uh like it's not written in the holy books or the sacred scriptures so uh people don't see it as a sin essentially but they see it as a shameful act they see it as a shameful thing so uh but the, but this is this is actually easier for parents to accept uh i feel like in the eastern communities rather than in the uh, in christian christianity or people who follow uh, islam or or in other religions so i feel that this is my personal opinion anyways so um yeah yeah well uh, vinay let me stay with you because i i want to talk about some of the characters in your film you uh have one story about a, a man named amar who's also who's gay and uh his mother his his mother jasbal um you you feature their relationship pretty prominently in the film i wonder if you could just talk a, bit, a little bit about them yeah they are both really amazing people um i've i've been acquainted with uh, uh jaspal uh, alex's mom uh, amar's mom uh, for almost 10 years since i've been involved with sherwan kuwar because when i moved here uh, to surrey uh, i as an immigrant i didn't have any family here i didn't have any friends here so i was a little bit lonely and uh, alienated like i didn't know who to uh like i didn't have any friends right so uh it was uh, volunteering with share and meeting people that way it's like it it gave me that community sense of community and then over the years now when i look back uh like over the last 10 years i feel like i've been preparing for this documentary uh <laughs> like without me knowing it like it's it's happening in the back because i've been talking to them for um years and years now and i knew that uh, uh just paul amar's mom is a very like well spoken like she is very well read she knows her culture inside out she she's very like um, almost philosophical she can talk about stuff like that and uh, amar as well like she uh, amar amar is actually like um, kind of takes after his mom uh, and then they are both kind of similar in that way and then amar is the founder of share vancouver so he's very well known activist here so and is successful as a gay person as a gay south asian person and, and he's always um, he, uh, so uh, people look up to him in certain ways so uh, it was important for me to include both of them uh, in the film because i knew they have good stories to share well religion is a big theme in both your films how do the subjects of your film keep their faith despite what their religion might say about homosexuality Yeah as I um, mentioned like that that religious aspect right like they were they are able to separate religion from sexuality in a way so they can um, they can see it in as two different aspects so they, so they don't really don't have to discard their faith to accept their children so this is why I feel like uh, they were more um, I, they, they were able to accept them in this way uh, in this film 
With, uh, with Wonder, we deal specifically with can you be queer and Christian? I really wanted to focus in on Christianity because of its colonial history and because that's, that's who I am and that's what's in my circle. And what I found most fascinating was that it, by including Winnie, Reverend Winnie, who's a South Asian queer Anglican priest and her telling her own story and her being there and loving and and a theologian as well, hopefully just by seeing her, you go, oh, okay, so it's possible to have a connection to God and be queer at the same time. And then everybody else's journey had to be an individual journey to get to that, because depending on your experiences with the church, you may not be able to forgive the church and what the church has done. But what, what I was really trying to get across was that if you feel a spiritual connection to God, however you call God, that connection can get broken by the church. So by the very institution that is trying to connect you to God, that very institution can break that connection. And so I really wanted to show that what church is about is about strengthening our connection to God. That's really the purpose of church, right? That is supposed to be the purpose of church. So if you've got a church in your neighborhood or around you saying, God doesn't love you, I know that's reducing it down to a very simple statement, then maybe that's not the church to go to. So to answer your question, how can you have faith given what everything has happened? Because if you can go into a church and feel that connection to God, then that church is doing what it's supposed to do. And that's what Christians want. They want that connection. That's what, you know, that's, they want to be queer. They want to be people of color. <laughs> and if they're Christian, they want to have that connection to, to God. You know, I forget. I, I can't remember who says it, but I think someone says that being out was a way of connecting with God or something to the, to, to, the, to that effect. I, I'm not sure yes, if it was. Winnie said it. Yeah, it was Winnie. Okay, right. sorry. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Winnie was like the most she felt free was when she came out and it right. was a spiritual uh, coming out. Yeah, it was the most free she ever felt. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit because I find I, I find it's interesting now that we're seeing on on streaming services and in, in, in movies, you know, uh, certain of an abundance of portrayals of LGBTQ folks. I'm thinking of, you know, CBC has this new show, sort of. There's a wonderful series on Netflix called Sex Education. And what I think what what's really interesting about those series is it shows the characters having these very uh, tough and emotional conversations with their families about about faith and about sexuality. And sure, I'll ask you first, you know, just how does mainstream representation sort of help facilitate real world conversations about these subjects? Well, I love sort of, by the way, I, I, mm. I think it's a fantastic show and I think it's so well done. But I think what it does is I see it in my 17 year old son. There's a normalization of sexuality and there's a normalization of conversations around sexuality. So when I hear he, him talk about, you know, one friend that's bisexual or, you know, somebody else came out trans, like those conversations I was not having when I was 17, they would have been in a, I wouldn't even have known those words. I wouldn't have had the words. So it normalizes it when you see relationships, same sex relationships, uh, on in mainstream media, I think it, you know, quote unquote, normalizes it to the extent that we can have those conversations without it being a political didactic conversation about heterosexuality versus homosexuality. You know, you get mm -hmm. to talk about love and connection and family, all those things that you mentioned. Yeah. Actually, I, it made me think that, you know, when I was growing up, 
in the 90s, you know, mainly uh, my exposure to any talk about sexuality, it was sort of, you know, if I'm thinking of Seinfeld, you know, the not, not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, there was this kind of like queasiness around it or uncomfortableness around it. And Vinay, I wonder, you know, I, I don't want to ask you your age, but I just wonder, you know, for you growing up, if you saw role models on, on television that you could sort of look to and have conversations uh, with your folks and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's very hard to find um, queer role models in South Asian media. Mm. Like whenever they are portrayed, they're portrayed as uh, kind of uh, funny characters. Like they're there for the uh, joke aspect of the scene, but they're not there for a serious, like we're talking about substantial roles. So it was very hard to find when I when we talked to the uh, when I talked to my cast like in the movie, uh, they said the only person they could think of uh, as a queer person who's successful is Ellen, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then she's the only person. But but she's uh, Caucasian. She's from a different. She's not from our culture. So there was that void when it comes to having role models or somebody to look up to. So this is why we wanted to create that. Like, uh, I think Sherwan Kaur had an out and proud project. Like they interviewed a lot of other South Asian, uh, who, South Asian members who are um, kind of successful and then they're willing to talk about their stories and they profile them in a way that people can look at them and then say, oh, there are other people that look like you or look like me. So uh, that is very important growing up, I think. Yeah. Well, we're kind of reaching the end of our conversation here, but I, I want to know just uh, maybe, Vinay, you could start. Just tell us a little bit about, I guess, the reaction that your film has gotten from audiences. Uh, I'm overwhelmed. I was so much love when we, when, uh, whenever they watch the, uh, the film. Uh, I've, I've like I've been teary-eyed myself seeing the reaction of the people. Uh, we just uh, uh, watched it at, uh, Visa, Vancouver International South Asian Festival, uh, and people were mostly um, like brown to say South Asian. Um, and then in that community where we shot the film, which is the city of Surrey, uh, and they could recognize all these places that we shot the film in. And it was a wonderful feeling. And then uh, they were clapping and there were like tears of joy. Like, um, so it's just, um, it's a beautiful experience for me and, and all the cast. It feels like like a warm hug that we are being accepted um, into this, you know, like into this club, exclusive club of people. So it just feels good. Yeah. Great. How about you, Sharon? Yeah. Uh, well, we just won the Audience Choice Award at Real World, which I have to say is probably the best award I've ever won because it meant that the audience, you know, chose our film. And so that meant a lot. That meant a lot to me. But I think it also... It just makes me grateful for those participants that came forward and really risked a lot in their lives to speak on camera about what they're going through. And to know that people are appreciating their story and hearing their story means a lot to me. It means that their yeah. courage hasn't gone unseen. Well, congratulations on the award. Uh, I have to ask what you guys are both working on next. Vinay, uh, this is your first doc. Uh, do you plan on doing more? I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm just uh, getting into this uh, idea that I could be a filmmaker because I never thought of myself as one. Uh, I knew I can tell like stories because I've done animation and that sort of thing and written scripts and all that. But being a person who makes documentaries and I can see the real impact that around me, like Sharon would agree with me, that is the biggest award that anybody could get. It's the impact that you see in front of you. Uh, more than any fictional film, I think, like a narrative feature. 
um, yeah, so I'm I'm really happy. I will, hopefully, we are working on other full projects as well, uh, which have social impact. Uh, like um, going on, like uh, we have we are splitting the film into like three different short films, so that uh, it can be taken to high schools as an educational tool uh, within BC or uh, Canada wide. So that is the project that I'm working on next, um, like maybe coming next year, 2022. Uh, we've already created a discussion guide uh, created by uh, um, activists here, uh, Annie Johanna and Sher Vancouver uh, combined. And um, they, they've done a wonderful job creating an educational tool that we can take to schools and universities and then, you know, show something that, you know, people can start those conversations and maybe have meaningful impact. Yeah. How about you, Sharon? Anything you're working on? Yeah. Well, our next big event, which was Wonder, is we're bringing it to Jamaica in October for Pride. So we're going to have a screening in Jamaica for all of those who couldn't make it out of Jamaica to see it. Um, so we're going to have a big, fancy, I hope, gala event as long as COVID stays in its place. And uh, and I'm hoping that a lot of people in Jamaica get to come and see it. Well, Vinay and Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today on Docs. I really enjoyed it. Alan, thanks for for uh, championing our films. Thank you. It means a lot. Th- thank, thank you for having Vinay, us. Hey, good you. to see you. Thank you. Thank good you. to chat with you. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the podcast. You can go to withwonder.com to find out where to watch Sharon's film and emergencefilm.net to see all the upcoming screenings for Vinay's documentary. We love to hear from you, so give us a shout out on Twitter. I'm at ellis 81 And I'm at Namshine. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hallowell, and executive producer Lori Few. We'll catch you at the next screening. I wasn't. I wasn't sure who you were singing. Then it occurred to me it was Rick Astley. <laughs> you. I thought you would recognize it. You're a music guy. I, I, well, it took me a minute, but yeah, eventually I did. Never gonna <laughs> also, give you up. My Never singing gonna is let you down. That's actually more. Sing that's it, more, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> just don't Rick roll me. <laughs>